Dotnet Rocks episode 730 with guest John Papa. Recorded live Tuesday, December 20th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell coming to you from Plop Studios. What's up, man? Uh, another day, another failed drive on my RAID array. Oh, oh you know no. what? I am so done with RAID. Uh, you I'm- know what? Everything's still running, but you know, it's the, it's the little panicked beeps and the warnings and it's so upset now. You know, you find the real merits of your RAID controller software when things go wrong. Well, you know, here's the thing about RAID. I have never had actual drives fail on me because I get smart and I replace them when they smell like they're going to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. But the only drives I've ever had fail and lose data were RAID drives. How right. ironic is that? No, no, it's it's and it's fair. Yeah, because they're so picky. Yep. Yeah. They're very particular. All right. Well, let's get into Better Know Framework. Awesome. Because you better. Because you better know. know what the heck you're doing. What are you talking um, about? Did you know that in Visual Studio 2010, VB got Lambda expressions? I did not know that. Well, I kind of knew it, but I forgot. You know, because I'm, I'm just used to doing what I do. Yep. And every time I see Lambdas, they're always in C Sharp. Of course. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not for me. Yeah. But if you just use the function or sub keyword in a statement and the end function or end sub around it. Yeah. You can just write functions and subs in line, and you're done. No that's kidding. That's, that's all you got to do. That's far out. So I could say dim my variable equals function, parentheses, parameter list, space, you know, return, yeah, whatever, blah, 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 do my thing, yes. end function, and that's it. Next, you're going to tell me there's XML literals in C Sharp. Yeah, because no, you're sorry. crazy like that. That that's crazy talk, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's great. That's that's very cool. I did not know that. Yeah, you know, it was something that I knew, but I never really looked it up and never really used it. But uh, I'm gonna now. There you go. Yeah, cool. Who's talking to us, man? I grabbed a comment off of show 725, which was the show we did with Kathy Malone about being a green developer. That was awesome. Yeah, it was a great show. Something really different. And uh, uh, the comment comes from Robin Osborne, who says, Talking about the nutritional label for code, surely a starting point for this in software is cyclomatic complexity, which can be measured from various tools. This should give us a basic measure of how much CPU might be utilized, perhaps. Which... I I know once we can start, I think what you ended up doing is going down at the machine level and saying, given a certain rating of cyclomatic complexity, how many watts is that? So you could start to yeah. play that game. But cyclomatic complexity is more lines of code. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're exercising drives or IO That's or right. things that might consume more power. So I, I don't know that it's there yet, but I, I get his intent. That's just not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, but the best part about this comment was what came later. You'll appreciate this. Robin goes on mm-hmm. to say, also... With a Bluetooth headset, a clicker, and connect, 
Put the clicker on your lapel and configure a tap of the clicker to start listening, and basically you've created the Star Trek computer comms. Well, that's that's exactly what I've done. Well, I don't even think you need the clicker. The motion of tapping your chest ought to be enough to have the connect go, I'm listening. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I, I actually did some tests with that, and you can use gesture pack, for example, to nice. recognize a gesture where you put your hand on your chest. Uh, it's not, well, I guess it's accurate. I was actually trying to trigger drum sounds with it. Oh, I see. So like I tap my chest and I get a kick drum. Right. Right. <laughs> but the latency was too much, but it certainly would work. Interesting idea. The other thing that I like about using connective speech is if something's talking to you and you want to interrupt it so that you can talk. Right. Just put your hand up. Nice. Like, just like you're in hand. grade school. Yeah, j- no, just talk to the hand. Hey, dup. just talk to I the hand. I want to talk now. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Please enter the pre- Hey, I need to say something now. <laughs> I'm talking. <laughs> Cuz you know, you really it doesn't do well when you're when it's speaking to you and trying to recognize at the same time. Yeah, it's not good. Awesome. Well, anyway, that's There cool. you go. Hey, Robin, thanks so much for your comment, and we'll be shipping a mug out to you. And if you'd like a mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. And before we introduce John, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online with nearly 200 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, many of whom have been guests on our show many times. They release 8 to 10 new courses every month. They offer a free 10-day trial. That's 200 minutes, um, full access to the library. Pluralsight offers a full curriculum on web development with over 20 courses on ASP.NET development, 10 courses on jQuery, JavaScript, and HTML5. Also, lots of Silverlight, WPF, that kind of stuff. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. Awesome. And with that, let's introduce our guest. John Papa is a former evangelist for Microsoft on the Silverlight and Windows 8 teams, where he hosted the popular Silverlight TV show. He has presented globally at keynotes and sessions for the Build, Mix, PDC, TechEd, VS Live, and Dev Connections events. John's also a columnist for Visual Studio Magazine, Papa's Perspective, and author of training videos with Pluralsight. Follow John on Twitter at John underscore Papa. Hi, John. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. So uh, a former evangelist for Microsoft. Seems like there's a lot of former fill-in-the-blanks from Microsoft lately. Seems like a lot of people are leaving, doesn't it? You know, I think that's always the case. There's Every time you turn around this time of year, it's it's after the fiscal year at Microsoft. Uh, you can always look back at the blogs and, see, and probably count. On all your digits of fingers and toes and how many people have left this time of year. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I think there's been a, more of an exodus just maybe in terms of because of the, things have changed quite a bit. You know, uh, some things are done, some things are new, and it seems like, a, I don't know what you think, but to me it seems like a, 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 a milestone moment, you know, where, where people uh, who have worked hard on projects that have... Um, matured are now off doing other things 
Yeah, I, I think that's true. There's a lot of teams across many different products where I've seen a lot of notable people either leave or move to new teams inside of Microsoft lately. And, you know, it's, it's nice to see them move around and do different things, but it's also, you know, we all like change, but we also like to recognize certain people to stay in certain areas. I think Scott Guthrie is the big example there. Mm. Yeah, sure. Well, it, it did seem to me like a lot of folks were pushing hard uh, at, to get to build. And, and it's one of those things where sort of once you've done the release, then it's, do you do, you do something else? Do you stick around? Like, it, it doesn't seem that unusual to me. What interesting to me is that it's it, it's much more of dev dev. I think the Scott Guthrie move was a huge deal, even though he took a lot of things with him. It's still a remarkable statement to think the guy who you know was core to inventing ASP.NET is in dev dev. Yeah, yeah, that that was a big move, and I think I think you know it probably means more to the people who are around him so much as to what he's going to influence in a lot of ways because. You know, for years now, I can't remember how many years, but for years, we've all looked to Scott for direction for development. And now some of those things are coming from other places. He's still obviously very key to it, but uh, it's definitely a change in our world. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, the things, like, like I say, things have matured. I, I look at the .NET framework as, you know, how much more do we really need to put into the .NET framework before we consider it, you know, done uh, done you know it, it it's really really good but it, it's gotten to this point where now we're talking about you know com- using the compiler as a service um we, you know that kind of stuff we we've pretty much i don't mean we've done it we've solved to an extent the the multi-threading issue with the um async await stuff is about as good as it gets in terms of programmability of asynchronous um processes We've got Link. We've got all these great tools. You know, how many people are going to use the compiler as a service thing in everyday, uh, you know, in everyday use? I think now we're just right. getting sort of esoteric. I consider the .NET framework done. So this is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm thinking that there's a lot of people who have spent their careers at Microsoft working on the .NET framework that are now just like, hmm, okay, well, this is done. Let's move on to something else. That's a great point, and I think that's, you know, on the flip side of things, that's where people like us need to look back, take a step back and say, all right, so we've got a guy like Scott or, or a lot of the influential people who've been at Microsoft working on something for so many years. At a certain point, it's baked. Yeah. You know, yeah. how much more additional are you going to add to it? It's super- So why not move on to something more exciting and new? Well, and, and Azure certainly that. I mean, I think the Azure team got a huge bump in credibility having Scott Guthrie involved from a developer Absolutely. perspective anyway. Yeah. Well, it ju- it also just shows you that all those people who have been very, you know, into .net and following its development and pushing it, you know, in the in the field, um now that it's done are looking for more new things, you know. So there's a lot of things outside of Microsoft that are sort of plumbing related that are, you know, that people are getting into and uh and i think it sort of happened simultaneously but it's interesting um so where where do you let me just ask you to put on your opinion hat and just tell it give us a little thermometer of where we are in relationship to the xaml technologies uh and of course i'm talking about the silverlight wpf windows phone windows 8 metro you know, XAML seems to have taken center stage of attention and uh, less so the particular 
uh, engines that interpret XAML on different platforms. Yeah, I think I think that's true. You know, there's where we are is, is a complicated discussion, obviously. But the thing I think is interesting is I think a lot of people have clung onto XAML as being the commonality between all these technologies and are linking the way you program against it is really what they're missing. They, they what they don't want to see go away. It's not necessarily that it's the platform. I think people are realizing that it's the way that they program against XAML that they want to hang on to. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, the challenge, of course, is that it's actually different runtimes. You know, XAML's not just XAML. There's quite a bit of variability between what you write WPF and what you write, say, in against WinRT. Absolutely. And that's been always one of the problems that people have had is originally on, we had WPF and Silverlight. We only had two flavors of XAML, really. Now we've got, what, four, five? Yeah. And people were complaining that they weren't in sync. Now we've got so many, I think people have pretty much given up hope that all of them will ever be in sync. But, you know, they, they still love their XAML. They, people love them some XAML, I'll tell you. Yeah. And uh, I still get emails like crazy about, you know, what's going on with Silverlight? Is there going to be a Silverlight 6? I've had emails from people, more than 100 emails, saying, is there going to be a Silverlight 8 or 9? So yeah. people are very interested in where XAML's heading and what the future is. So what do you think? Is there going to be a Silverlight 6? <laughs> <laughs> There's the question. It only took us, what, four minutes to get into that one? <laughs> Seven, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> so obviously the big disclaimer is I do not know one way or the other uh, no. for sure. But my guess at this point is I'd be willing to bet that there's going to be another version of Silverlight in some right. way, shape, or form. I don't know if it'll be six. If I had to lay my money, I would say probably going to be like a five dot release. Yeah. Or if it, you know, mostly just to help support the big companies like the Netflixes and the, the NBCs and the Olympics, things like that. Yeah, those little customers that, you know. What I find interesting about Silverlight 5 is that it was the quietest release of a Microsoft product I've ever seen. Yeah. Sure, it just, sure it was. just sort of quietly slid out in, in the middle of, of December. No fanfare. No fanfare at all. Especially compared to what happened with two, three, and four with the releases. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they were major announcements. Even and then one. five just kind of slid in, I think, two weeks ago. Just kind of, yeah, here it is. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting strategy. There might be more versions, but in the same way with .NET, Silverlight is pretty baked at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, five added a lot, but there's not a huge amount of things to add to it at this point. That's not the reason I don't think to be another version, but I just think the company is heading other directions. I know we're having a discussion here, and I hate to, you know, throw my opinions in so much, but I do have opinions, so I will throw them in. So, um, <laughs> um, one of my thoughts is that that it's found its niche. You know, we didn't really know when Silverlight 1.0 came out. It was in sort of an, a glorified animated GIF player. You yep. know, it's like a, a really a video kind of thing. Silverlight 2 started to creep towards an application platform, and by three, we had binding and data access and all this great stuff and you know so so it's sort of found its niche in the in the business world i think where uh it just solves the whole deployment of windows applications apart from the obvious uh video stuff that can go mass market that's great by the way and there's there's no better way to do it um and there's no other way to do you know that kind of streaming Across all yeah, the, the video streaming is absolutely fantastic with it. But I think, as you're right, the key that a lot of people are 
we're clamoring about is, is they're building a lot of business applications with mm-hmm. this framework. Mm-hmm. And while there may or may not be more versions, the key I keep telling people is if the technology is the skill that your team knows and it's going to solve your business problem, I wouldn't abandon it for that. No, of course not. And, you know, it's done. It's good. It final, It does everything you want it to. Why are you looking for something else? I mean, there's lots of people still using WinForms. WinForms work. WebForms work. They, you know, the, the, the tool vendors sell more Windows Forms tools than anything else still. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's because there's just an army of Windows Forms developers out there that are, you know, either maintaining or building new applications. And the tooling's very, very good. Yeah. I still don't think we've got as good a tooling for Silverlight or any XAML uh, development process than we've got for WinForms. I agree. And I think that's the area that people are missing the most with when they look at things like HTML5 and JavaScript and CSS is they look at the tooling story for things like Silverlight or WebForms or MVC or even WinForms. Then you go over to HTML5 and really it's a pitiful story at this point until something gets released. Right. Well, even when something does get released, you know it's a long way away from being mature. They've had so many goes at trying to build a good XAML designer. And the one in, in Studio 10 is the, is the best so far, but it's still not a patch on what we've had. Right, right. I agree, and there's a lot of good stuff there. Blend, to me, Blend was the key for me to getting interested in XAML uh, to do design work. I used to do WPF in Notepad because it was so horrible in Visual Studio. Yeah. And then with Blend 3 and 4, really, really solidifying how you could do design work over there. That really helped. But a lot of people, a lot of corporations especially, they don't use Blend at all. I've worked with a lot of companies who just use Visual Studio. And they're missing out quite a bit on a lot of the features that just aren't there in VS. Although that's one of the things you see in Dev 11, that they're incorporating more of the Blend-like features that developers are going to care about so that you don't have to go to Blend. Absolutely. And if if people have give a little plug out to Joanna Mason's talk at... uh, build there was a great talk she did and showed a lot of those features being pulled into vs11 and it does look pretty good it is yeah it is just a different way of thinking it's funny how we're just sort of you know there was a belief that they were going to have these two tools two different groups of people that were going to work together and i think that that had a very small uptake you know we found a few cases where that is working and now the tools are simply adapting to the way people are actually working which is that developers stay in studio right they do and that's all there is to that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. You know, the other side to the whole Silverlight debate is uh, 
that really Silverlight was cross-platform. And that seems to be the thing that Microsoft is walking away from, is that the, the strength of Silverlight was that it would run on on the Mac. And then you had Moonlight, which I don't think ever really got any traction because Linux on the desktop is, is almost a ghost. But we've just stopped talking about the fact that that Guthrie and his team got a chunk of the CLR running on the Mac. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, you're right. In the beginning, it was a media story. Then it was a cross-platform story. And then the line of business thing kind of came later. Uh, but that was the one that really took hold. But the cross-platform story, if you really look at it, the, and I don't know the original reason because I wasn't on the Silverlight team when they first came out. But the way I looked at it was Silverlight was really a huge competitor for what Flash and Flex were starting to do to the, the business space. And they basically built a Microsoft team built a better Flash and Flex, in my opinion, to do line of business apps because mm-hmm. I've done both. And it really, really took a, a great stranglehold on it. And the uh, uh, I forget the numbers where we are right now with Silverlight, but the adoption rate really went through the roof on. I mean, from basically nothing to seventy plus percent. Mm-hmm. And there's so much you can do there. But the cross platform was something that, in a lot of ways, I think Silverlight, if you look back on it, pretty much won the battle with Flash in the line of business area. Because Flex was either flatlining or going lower at the time because of mm-hmm. Silverlight's uptake. Uh, and then all of a sudden, things changed in the world. The you know, two years ago, the iPad <laughs> came out. The iPhone was out the year before that. Things started changing. And then cross-platform didn't seem so important because, you know, for whatever reasons. Well, all the fun stuff was being done on those platforms, and that's where the demand for apps was. Yeah, and it was interesting. Once the iPad came out, and even before that, people were asking all the time, hey, when's Silverlight going to work on an iPhone? When's it going to work on this new iPad? Uh, You know, and that was, those were interesting conversations, I'm sure, that were happening that I wasn't privy to, but. But yeah, I mean, Apple decided they weren't going to run plugins. And, you know, you can argue the merit of that one way or the other, but the the reality is once that decision's made, it doesn't really matter what technology you're using. Yep. Well, here's the bottom line. Developers want tools that they can build apps with that run on as many popular platforms as possible. And the popular platform is really what it's all about. Their users and our users are demanding that we have iPad apps, so that's what we build. Now, actually, you know, Richard's been uh, sort of had the idea that HTML5 web applications would sort of one day permeate all of these things making client apps you know a, less desirable just because their complexity and having to fork the code and all of that stuff for different platforms and um you know i've i've sort of always been of the mindset that people will always want native apps but the reality is if it looks like a native app and it works like a native app and it has the same features that a native app has and we we take the chromo out of the browser on the device you know, wh- why Why not? Why not do it that way? And, I, and I, I can see that sort of starting to happen with things like the Kindle Fire and, uh, you know, where, where apps can be websites without Chrome. If you're building a consumer-based app, the story's really changed dramatically over the last couple of years. If you're building business apps for the enterprise, for big companies, the story's changed a little bit. But I think that's where more of the concerns come in from people. Is they, they're like, why can't we use XAML still? And mm-hmm. the truth is they can. They can use XAML. They can use WinForms. Um, they're all viable still technologies. But the interesting space is the consumer space because three years ago there was no consumer space. 
So let's talk about HTML5, CSS, JavaScript, that whole, that whole camp. Um, this is something that you, that you're very interested in these days, are you not? Yeah, I've been a, I've been kind of an architect of all levels for many years. And the area that I focused on the last five or six years has been the client space. I got into JavaScript and HTML before I got into Silverlight and basically backed off it because I didn't like the state of affairs and went down the WPS Silverlight route. But I got back in over the last year and a half here because primarily I wanted to figure out where are things heading? Mm. You know, where are, what's, everyone's talking about HTML5. I'm not just going to go out there and say, I love Silverlight. HTML5 is bad. Yeah. I want to know what are the good and bad points? What's evolved? So I spent a lot of time looking into the good and the bad points, and there's there's a lot of both. Uh, a lot of things have changed, and it's it's quite an interesting space right now. I just don't feel that the, the, the HTML5 has the strength that Silverlight has in terms of just building a rich client. We can make stuff look good in HTML5 and look like Silverlight, but that state management space, the the ability to do complex manipulation and to work in a really robust language, I don't think it's comparable. I think the experience, the development experience, I agree with you on that. There's, it's only, to put it in simple terms, I think it's a lot easier to do things with like XAML, for example, or some other Microsoft web technologies than it is to do in HTML5, CSS, JavaScript. I'll be very blunt. There's yeah. things I could do in, in Silverlight that would take me maybe three times the time to do that with HTML5, JavaScript. Um, are there things I can't do with HTML5 and JavaScript for Silverlight? That, that separation is uh, getting much, much narrower at this point. There's a lot of things Certainly you can do. Is. And even things like data binding you can do with JavaScript now with multiple different libraries that have come out. So tell us about some of that. So we're we talking like Knockout? Yeah, Knockout is something I'm, I'm really, really uh, big on. And I've, I'm actually developing a course right now, shameless plug, for Pluralsight. That's a follow-up to their introductory course on Knockout. Um, it's it's basically a JavaScript plugin that you can use to do data binding between HTML and CSS and JavaScript. Um, and it basically has the concept of observables, which so if you're familiar with XAML, mm-hmm. your observables are basically these objects that you create with JavaScript that are kind of like implementing the iNotify property change interface in XAML. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another library, though, for data binding that'll be coming out in a couple of months. And I don't want to get too much into it yet, but... The quick history on it is Boris Moore, who also works for Microsoft, is uh, one of the creative influences behind jQuery templates, is actually working on JS Views and JS Render, which are two JavaScript libraries, plugins, that uh, they're not yet beta, so I wouldn't go going crazy with them yet, but definitely take a look at them. They're two libraries that do templating and data binding as well. And he's definitely talked with Steve Sanderson, who's the creative influence behind Knockout, um, and they both have slightly different directions they're taking with data binding, but uh, I'm actually equally impressed with both of them. They're both very, very interesting. Uh, guys, we'll get back to that in a second, but you know what time it is, Richard? It's goodie giveaway time. It's goodie giveaway time. I love it. We're giving away a Telerik Ultimate Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. What is that, you say? Well, I'll tell you. All you got to do is go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Join the Fan Club Get Free Stuff uh, banner, or whatever it is, over on the right. Join the fan club, answer a few questions, and then we get to pick your name. Every show, we're giving away a Telerik Ultimate Collection to a fan club member. We're up to 600-something members now. Awesome. So who gets it this week? 
This week, the, the Telerik Ultimate Collection goes to Mark J. Ritchie. Congratulations, Mark. Mark Ritchie. Congratulations. Woohoo! Unless he doesn't return my email, in which case it's going to go to someone else. <laughs> but Mark, I'm, I'm counting on you here. Uh, return my email. We'll get you, get that out to you. That's a $2,000 value. Yes. The, just about everything Telerik makes. It's good stuff. Good stuff. So, uh, uh also, if you join, blah, 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 let me say, good stuff. Also, all fan members are eligible for the big technology giveaway drawing that we're going to do next December. We're going to give away at least $5,000 worth of stuff, Woo-hoo! technology, probably computer-based something. Something It's going to be awesome. You know, something geeky. Something geeky. Biggest giveaway we've ever done. I'm going to do that every year. That's it. Awesome. Yep. So let's get back to the conversation. I guess, are we looking down the road at uh, Render JS to, to be the, the model that you're going to be using most? And, and how does it work? You know, I, I haven't decided yet, you know, between Knockout and JS Render, which one is, um, in JSUs, which one is going to be kind of the primary. But they have different keys. So, for example, Knockout is a little more robust at this point because it's been around longer. And there's a lot of people using it. There's a very active community, and there's even plugins for it to enhance it. Uh, and it's quite frankly, I've done a couple apps with it, and it's really, really nice. Uh, JS Views and JS Render are a little more, they're, they're in the alpha stage right now, but the things I like that they have over Knockout is in Knockout, every JSON object that you get back, you really need to convert that to an object that has these observable properties. So okay. you're not just taking your JSON object, you've got to take it and then make the properties of this uh, knockout.observable. Even your arrays are like observable arrays. So it's not just uh, POCO, to borrow a, uh, a term, or POJO, plain yeah. old JavaScript objects. Yeah. But with uh, JS views, you can actually just take your plain JavaScript JSON objects, and you can use those with the data binding mechanisms. So that's one difference I do like on the JS view side. Another one is that in knockout, just the syntax, the way you do it, is in knockout, you have to have a data-bind property in all your HTML elements, and then you put all your data bindings in that one attribute, separated by commas. So if you want to bind to like the value property of an input, a the enable property, the visible property, all those are in one um, attribute inside your tag. Hmm. With JS views, you actually bind each individual t- uh, element inside your inside your tag. So if you've got a visible or enabled or a value property, your binding goes in each individual one of those, which is a little bit more like the XAML yeah, syntax. I was going to say it's very XAML-ish. Yeah, and it's obviously I kind of like the XAML side of the world. So right. Well, I mean, there's any time anytime you don't have to do one step of plumbing code to make a feature work is a good thing. Yeah, and I think the uptake on both has been pretty pretty easy for me. I mean, being a guy who's obviously loved data binding and XAML, mm-hmm. uh, both of them are pretty easy to get into, and the community for Knockout is much richer at this point. But I'm also very impressed with where. Uh, JS Views is heading, which is the data binding side of Boris's library, and JS Render is basically the replacement for jQuery templates. Do you think that Microsoft ought to sort of get jump into this, or are they? Do you think that they're sort of looking around to see what technologies bubble to the surface in the way that they do uh, with everything else? But because it would be really, really nice to have this kind of XAML-like experience for HTML5, CSS, JavaScript development. 
So now this is this is an interesting area because I for a while I thought very convincingly that Microsoft should get into this area officially and not just be a helper as they have been. But I'm not so sure now. And the reason being is we look at the state of affairs right now with JavaScript and Microsoft. Just look at data binding. And in Windows 8, they have the WinJS library, which has its own data binding syntax. There's something called Knockout, which is developed by a Microsoft developer, but it's he had that before he came to Microsoft, Steve Sanderson. Mm -hmm. They don't officially support that. That's his thing. Mm -hmm. But there are places in Microsoft I, I could imagine it being used in the future. And then there's also JS Views, which is also by a Microsoft employee who happens to be a heavy jQuery guy, Morris Moore. So now you've got three different data binding type libraries built by Microsoft influentials. And then there's other things that I know going on internally, some smaller ones. And don't ever forget DataLink, which was one right. of the original. Yeah. So should they get into it? In, in my mind, it'd be nice if they, if they chose one that they kind of got behind. But I'm not necessarily convinced that they should be the one championing it because a lot of the people out there doing JavaScript developments, quite honestly, would follow whatever like the jQuery team is getting behind. You know, they may not want what Microsoft is supporting. Well, and also, if Microsoft picks a winner, you sort of stifle innovation in some respects, too. All of this is sort of come from the weeds, so to speak. True. If As long as you let that proliferate. I mean, the only downside for us as developers is like, how do I choose? Yes. But there are worse problems in this world than I have too much choice. That, that's true. And it's something that's, I like having these choices. Like right now, Knockout and JS Views are both great choices. Uh, and there's others as well. But what people lose track of is in, you can't compare JavaScript HTML development to what we've done with .NET to a certain degree because with .NET, you get a version, you get support, you move forward. And you're always building on the last one. And backwards compatibility is huge. In the HTML5 JavaScript world, for years, it's been like this, and it continues to be. When things change, the teams who have the large libraries of plugins, they try to have backwards compatibility, but they don't make that a rule for a lot of cases either. Yeah. And sometimes, like things like jQuery templates. jQuery UI team, from what I understand, and this is my words, not theirs, decided that it wasn't something they were going to move forward with. So they said, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. Boris Moore decided, you know what, I'm going to move on to a new templating engine called JS Render. Mm -hmm. It's not the end of the world to have jQuery templates not being developed anymore. If right. you're still using it, it's still going to work. I, wow, uh, this sounds like the conversation we had 15 minutes ago about Silverlight. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why people get really upset over you know Silverlight being the only case of this. It's just the most publicized. Hmm. It happens every day in all these technologies. Well, I think the JavaScript is moving so fast that it's difficult to pin down. As you say, I think that, you know, picking a winner might be a, a very kind of crazy thing to do at this point. I mean, really, until we have that Silverlight development experience for, uh, you know, for an HTML5 application that with JavaScript, and, and it's just as easy as making a client application on, on the dot, with a .NET yes. framework, there's going to be you know, disruption. Yeah, and I think the two areas that are really have hurt, at least in my mind, that always stuck out were one is layout. And I think tooling is going to help with that. And things like CSS4 or whatever is, whatever is going to have the new CSS grid type yeah. elements yeah. for layout. And then the other side is, is patterns. Mm -hmm. In JavaScript, how many times have you seen a JavaScript app where you've got a JavaScript file that's got 4,000 lines of code and it's just function, 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 function? Right. 
Right. You know, having some kind of pattern in there, using something like what uh, Cro- Doug Crockford uses with like a module pattern or a revealing module pattern or the prototype patterns. You know, it doesn't matter what pattern you use as long as there is some kind of consistency. Yeah, and it's the wild, wild west out there with JavaScript. Uh, right it really now. can be. It really can be, and that's it's okay if you're a single developer app and you're the only one ever going to touch it. But at these large businesses, you know, you got to develop for the guy behind you. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report 6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active Reports from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. Have you seen what's being taught in schools and colleges in terms of JavaScript development? From what I've seen in the people I talk to, and I've got got a large family, many of them going to college right now, um, the different languages they're teaching really depends on the college. Some of them I still see they're teaching COBOL, which is just wow. cracks me up. Wow. <laughs> and for you this, know. you're paying, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and yes, we, we mentioned COBOL on .NET Rocks. And, yeah, uh, wouldn't be the first you know, time. Some of <laughs> we actually had a guy, John, who, who wanted us to clarify what we meant by, you all are like going to be COBOL programmers very soon. <laughs> you know, somebody said that on our show. And somebody said, what do you mean? What's COBOL? It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, you know, now we're, I feel really old now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I see that. Um, I see a lot of Pascal still because it's a good learning language at a couple mm-hmm. colleges. Uh, C is still being done quite a bit from what I've seen. But I'm also seeing a lot of HTML and JavaScript over the last couple of years at some of the universities. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of it's from the community college ones that I've seen. And this is just my vision. Right. And I have a very small vision into it. Yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine that, you know, somebody who's taking a, a programming class at college in JavaScript is going to be even close to learning anything about good patterns and good software design and JavaScript. I mean, it's more like, you know, you know a view source, copy and paste, class dismissed, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I remember when I went to college, pretty much what I learned was syntax of languages. I, all I did was learn how to learn languages, which was a, a big skill, mm. but it didn't matter. I mean, I learned COBOL and Pascal and C and things like that when I went to school, but it's not like those were the languages I was going to use. I also think you can't really learn patterns until you can speak a programming language. Agreed. You have to know what the wrong things are, how to recognize the wrong things before you can learn what the right things are. Mm. And let's face it, it's very easy to go the wrong way with JavaScript. Like in terms of a language that's going to get you into trouble, I can't think of very many that are better except, you know, maybe uh, Lisp. But that's about it. Like JavaScript can be very evil. It's almost like C in a lot of ways, if you think about it, or C++, where there's a lot of things you can do with JavaScript. You know, .NET put us in a box. It yeah, put us in kept this us box very safe. And, yeah, it was very safe. We didn't see all the zombies running around outside that box, but with JavaScript, they're all over the place. <laughs> well, and that started with Visual Basic. I mean, I 
remember programming in C++ for Windows 3 with a Periscope card because your debugging cycle was run the app, hangs Windows, snap <laughs> a copy of memory with the Periscope card, <laughs> reboot the machine, figure out what the hell happened. Oh, God. <laughs> I remember you know? so, so vividly those things. That's oh, life, man. That's how it was. Soft like, Visual Basic was a revelation. Yeah. Yeah, VB was VB was amazing when it came out, and and of course once we got rid of the whole DLL hell thing, that was even better. But yeah, well we cre- we traded one problem for another, right? I mean, there was always a price to be paid there, one way or sure. the other. We have a less granular DLL hell now. Yeah, you know, I, I, <laughs> I think it's true in a lot of ways. JavaScript is just uh, you know we have a new playground to play in uh, over here. It's not really new; it's just a lot of developers have not gone this way. And I know it's funny thing I hear a lot is. Developers saying, HTML5, you just can't do anything with it. You can't do anything with JavaScript. Hmm, yeah. And I said, well, have you used it? And they're like, well, yes. I said, well, when have you used it? You know, nine years ago. Well, things have changed a little yeah. bit, too. Well, and I wonder how much Windows 8 has complicated this with WinJS. I agree. JavaScript now has hooks into the operating system. How weird is that? Well, and you can't really call it JavaScript because it's a really a, a Windows client developer language that looks like javascript yeah it's really interesting you know developing for windows apps with with html and javascript now you can hook into the os as you're saying through nrt through all these different javascript libraries they've created which is kind of like their own jquery on top of their libraries yeah right but is that going to take off isn't it Uh, at this point nobody knows i mean we're not even at a beta yet Yep, and this is a conversation we had quite a bit on the tablet show, and it comes does come around again, so we probably should n- not uh, fall into the trap of repeating ourselves so many times, but it, w- it really does remain to be seen what happens there. Well, and, and everything will change when the beta ships. Yeah, that's a very good point, which is going to be soon. We're recording this in December. It's going to be published in January. And then maybe a month later, we might have a, we probably will have a new version of Windows 8, a new beta. So uh, everything that we've talked about so far could be completely changed. Certainly could. And, and, I, and I firmly expect that whatever comes out in the next public release of Windows 8 will be dramatically different than what we've seen so far, especially with the APIs. I mean, I think so too. Yeah. I, that's why I'm not, I'm personally am not bothering, even though I've written courses with Windows 8 and Primarily, I'm doing this to get people's awareness. I'm being very careful not to get too deep into the APIs because I fully expect them to change. We have a question from the Twitterverse from Mr. Papa. How are you going to make traditional .NET developers want to use GitHub for their primary source control? Uh, how am I going to do it? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That, that, that all it's all s- up to you, John. Oh, cool. Yeah. I think you had to talk to Phil Hack on that one. Didn't he go over to Git? He did. Yeah. <laughs> Good man he is. So I would argue that a lot of people are using it already, honestly. I'm, yeah. I'm working with a bunch of uh, developers right now who honestly are trying to use Git at the enterprise. They they love Git at this point, GitHub, sorry. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's a, a huge shift to get people to do something like that at this point. I mean, if you're familiar with CodePlex, basically Git's just a, GitHub's just a better way to do it. I don't know. I, I haven't fa- faced anybody who's actually had a problem with it yet, but I'm sure there are people who do. Well, and you have to wonder if uh, the it's just not going to naturally integrate with the tooling like everything else anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I I would point out that uh, Phil hacks over there, and he did an awful lot of work with Studio. Like, if anybody's going to build a plugin, if 
I was thinking who should build a plug-in mm. for GitHub into Studio, mm. I think he'd pretty much be at the top of the list. Mm. Yeah, I, I would think so. And I do know there are some plugins that work with Studio now. They're not up to the standards. We're all, you know, they're not like TFS integration. Yeah. But, you know, that Phil would be a great guy to go down that road. So we better get Phil to do that. Yeah. Yeah, we better. <laughs> we got a project for you, Phil. Get to work. <laughs> do you have a wish list for the future, John, for Microsoft? Do I have a wish list for the future for Microsoft? Honestly, for me, the big thing is to keep innovating. I, I worry. You know, I've been on the inside and the outside, and there's a lot of smart people there. And for me, I've always loved Microsoft development because there's always been something new. They always build on what they've had, and there's so many brilliant people, and they, they, really, they really allow that creativity to flow. The one thing I hope that doesn't change over the future here is because there's been such a shift in strategy to make things quieter, I hope that creativity isn't changing. You know, I want to make sure the people inside still have the ability to do that. So we know publicly we haven't heard much about what's coming with Windows 8 and other technologies, and that's been completely different than what we've seen in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Yes, it is. But I hope that that is not, uh, that's just a cover on top of all the creativity as opposed to stifling creativity. Um, and that's that's my hope. My wish list is make sure all the people are still being creative and given that freedom to do what they need, um, whether or not they publicly let us uh, have uh, you know transparency in what they're doing or not. Yeah, this does seem very Steve Jobs like to sort of put the hush on everybody. Yeah, whether you like it or not, I mean, I, personally, it doesn't bother me one way or the other. But some people are very upset over it, and yeah, you have a right to be if you want to. You got to speak out about it. I think it's just what we're used to. We're used to that kind of transparency. You're right. Well, and and there's another way to spin this, which was the whole Longhorn debacle that by they did Longhorn de- the development of Longhorn very publicly, and the result was an overpromising and an underdelivering mm-hmm. in the form of Vista. Mm-hmm. And I think sure. that's left a pretty big scar on Microsoft's psyche, and they're going to go the other way. Yeah, it's definitely time for something different, and I, I agree with that. And you know, whether there's things I agree with, things I don't with what Microsoft's doing, but it's still good that they're trying. You know, we we could be in this state right now where there is no innovation, where they're just giving up. You know, for example, whether you like Windows Phone or not, you've got to admit it's a heck of a lot better than anything Microsoft has tried to put out there in the market. Oh, it's, uh, it's oh, astonishing, yeah. and it's finally getting the critical claim. I think it deserves because it's really a remarkable product yeah and i just wrote a little editorial article about it and my i love my windows phone let me be very blunt i love the phone i love the ui i have an iphone 4 as well my wife uses that i gave to her and it's a great phone but the ui to me is just fantastic on windows phone have you gotten have you played with the nokia lumina 800 no i'm dying to get my hands on one of those it just supposed to be beautiful it elevates everything and, and people don't understand until I put the phone in their hand because it's it's profound. It is a remarkable piece of hardware combined with that remarkable software. Yeah, as opposed to the ones we've been getting, which have nice glass on them with the Samsung, but the rest of it's just kind of Yeah, but it's just a good com- a set of components. It's not the refined product that the, right. the Lumina 800, and I realize the N800 is their, is their first attempt. It's actually just a derivative of the N8. And I played with an N8, which is also a gorgeous phone. It just had some of the worst software I'd ever seen. Yes. It was the first phone where I said, you know, I like this phone so much better when it's off. You know, the key to, to me, the key in Windows Phone, this is the one rip I had in the article, was it's got to become cool at this point. 
you know, we use it in all, but it's got to become that cool factor for the, the common masses to buy it. Well, I think we're starting to see energy around that, that we're starting to get critical acclaim, even if we're not getting big market acceptance, that the right. real critics of these kinds of designer products are saying, you know what, this actually is really good. And that, that to me is surprising because Microsoft has been decidedly unhip for a long time and we never cared because we were crying all the way to the bank. We mm. made a comfortable living following Microsoft technologies. Mm. I read a really uh, interesting blog from um, a, a big celebrity, which I don't name the celebrity at this point, but one thing he pointed out about Windows Phone was he was comparing Android, Windows Phone, and iPhone. And the biggest reason he wanted the iPhone, to be honest, he said, was it's got to look good in my hand. He goes, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was a status symbol of some sort. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and having something that looks good and feels good, I mean, that's a lot of what these things are, to be honest. Totally. Uh, and along those lines, actually, I got pinged by uh, a certain friend of all of ours who said they'd like to hear your opinion on the idea of driving WinRT onto WinPhone. What do you think about this? There's been this discussion for a while now that that MinWin could be crammed into uh, WinPhone. So I think that that's a really interesting idea, and I hear that a lot. People saying, well, the next version or another version would his phone have WinRT on it. Well, I think before we can get that, you're assuming that WinRT is is going to be out first. Yeah. You know? yeah. We've got to get it on Windows 8 before you can get it on Windows Phone, I would mm. assume. Yeah. But, you know, I remember the keynote speech with Sanofsky, and when he rattled off the specs that Win8 ran on and its footprint, because it was a gigahertz processor, uh, a gig of RAM, and Direct Next 9 support. And I'm looking at my focus and saying, this is a gigahertz processor, 8 gigs of RAM, and DirectX 9 support. Like, yep. mm. Granted, that's an ARM processor, Snapdragon, versus, say, I think he was referring to an, an Intel Atom, which is still a pretty lightweight processor. Yeah. But yep. they're awfully close. And this is September of 2011. You do a Moore's Law cycle and talk about September 2012, my phone hardware is that much better. And the Mango hardware took a step forward. Mm -hmm. Multi-core is imminent. Like, there's all the elements there to say, why wouldn't it run? Yeah, I, I can fully see it being able to run on those. Uh, to me, it's more of a decision of, would you want to do the WinRT stuff on those devices? And if they live up to what the promise that they're doing, I could absolutely see this being on Windows Phone down the road. And then the key comes in, well, geez, now we got XAML there, but is it going to be XAML on there? We've been doing HTML5 on there. <laughs> so you get back into that discussion again, too. Yeah. It always comes around to that. <laughs> it does. It does. And then you got the C++ developers chiming in going, what about us? Well, they finally get to play now, right? Yep. They've got access to XAML. It, it's really, it really is a buffet. I don't know how closely you follow the, the Connect team. And what's going on over there in Microsoft Research with the Connect SDK? But apparently, it's been in the press that next year, uh, this year, is going to see some new hardware and some new software for the Connect SDK that will give us the close range experience for the Connect. And um, I'm wondering, you know, this is one thing that I would love to see baked into WinRT, as well as you know speech recognition that the connect brings but i wouldn't necessarily want to have a connect to get speech recognition i'd just like to have that on winrt uh have you been following this stuff at all and what are your thoughts just as a consumer to be honest with you i don't do a lot of dev with that sdk but the area that would interest me if they could manage to get it into at some point this is 
you talk about wish list ideas. Yeah. I'd love to see that close range proximity with a connect built into a device like the phone. Yeah. How about that? Wouldn't that be I mean, great? that would be this, them things you could do are just amazing. If you could have that built into a phone, this is potentially life changing stuff. I mean, if you think about let, let's talk geopolitics here for a minute and Richard, his ears just perked up because I said his word. Um, if you think of the Arab Spring and the, the, the Occupy movements that have been going on around the world, these have really been fueled by the availability of technology and especially in places that haven't had it before. The, the technology of the day, I mean, Facebook played a huge role in a lot of these things in people's ability to organize and get together. If you add to that mix, you know, stuff that can understand what you're doing, your physical body, you know, it, it, bef before any of those uh, protests happen, the whole advent of YouTube, where people just have their phones on them when stuff happens, and they pull them out and they record people doing things that people don't assume somebody's got a video camera around. But yeah, I got my phone. Guess what? You're on YouTube, Mr. Senator, you know, beating somebody in the street or whatever you're doing. And, you know, your your career is over. I mean, in a way, this technology changes the world in, in ways that we might not be thinking of right now. It really is it really is amazing the things we could actually do with this. And if that technology works, think about what you could do with, uh, you know, think about all those old spy movies where you've got watches that could become like phone devices, for example. You know, forget it, a phone that you've got to stick in your pocket. What if it's on your body at all times? What about a Star Trek yeah. communicator? That's what I want. There we go. <laughs> the one we all want is the transporter device. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on that, okay? But we understand the transporter technology came into play because uh, Gene Roddenberry didn't have the budget to have shuttles going down from the Enterprise to the planet. This was a cheaper way to do it, right? Oh, really? I hadn't <laughs> heard the that. budget. Yeah, <laughs> didn't couldn't afford to actually do the okay. We take the shuttle down to the planet, so oh, we'll just beam down because technologically it's totally out of proportion with everything else. And I'm justifying the technology of science fiction. There you go. There you go. Wow. <laughs> How See, did I, I get learned here? something here? What happened to me? And I think that's where we're going to have to end it. So we're just about to the end here. Um, John, is there anything that you want to plug or, or uh, talk about before we go? I think we've cut, we've covered most of it here, but I would definitely open up the, the doors. If anybody has any questions for me about, you know, where things are heading, or what's going on, best way to always get a hold of me is, is through Twitter. And I love starting up those conversations, even if it's an argument. <laughs> so yeah. Definitely ping me on there. Awesome. John Papa, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. 
online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.